So welcome to a special bonus episode of Funny Old World. We're on the road in South Africa. We're at We Are Africa, a get together of hotels, safari hosts, travel operators, and all the folks who are selling these holidays. And as I say, international tourism is one of the most powerful tools for wealth distribution in the fight for better socioeconomic uplift in communities that really need it, those most vulnerable to climate change. Simon, it's your first time in this part of the world. Have you found it? Um, I found it great, actually. You're right. It's the first time in South Africa, so obviously my first time in Cape Town. Um, I've just had a whale of time. I've eaten really well. Uh, I just love how everybody's so warm and friendly and open. And of course, I'm going to take this opportunity to say a big thanks to Weaver for inviting us. So sustainability has been one of the major themes running through our podcast series, along with Eco Matters and, of course, the climate emergency. And during each episode, we've been lucky enough to chat to a host of international guests and experts, some of whom we actually got to meet and talk with face to face during the conference. I love how we just casually talk about the climate emergency when actually, you know, there are headlines on newspapers across the world today saying we are going to go above the Paris Agreement's 1.5 degrees by 2027. So we know we seriously have some work to do. That's why we're having these conversations. That is why we hosted 10 sustainability sessions powered by Weaver, the beloved sustainability management system that we love so much at this epic trade show. It's been such an incredible way of amplifying, well, I hope it has been, important messages. And it's been a joy in particular handing the mic to some new voices from Africa uh, alongside some of the industry's leaders. Simon, you're a newcomer to my world. I've loved having you here. Uh, Your background obviously is as a showbiz reporter, as a presenter. You can spot a great story and like me, you love one. So, So remind me, what makes the greatest, the greatest headline? We used to say it needed to be scandalous, it needed to be emotive, and it needed to be short and to the point. So three words is really best. And that elusive headline that all tabloid editors wanted was Pope Shag's Queen. We're only a few minutes in. It's a little, that's a little bit too much, no? Yeah, you're right. You're right, actually. And of course, it's uh, it's out of date now. It would have to be something like King Shag's Pope. Well, if we're going to get controversial then, it's quite interesting because here we are in the travel world. A general manager once told me there are three things you can never talk about in hotels. Politics, religion, and also climate change. And actually, I believe in more uncomfortable conversations, leaning into the topics that are supposed to be taboo. Well, that's why we have our podcast series. Today, let's go through some of our highlights from those conversations. We covered so much from redefining luxury travel, tackling greenwash, and I chatted to the guys who travelled from Kenya to Cape Town by tuk-tuk. Yeah, and we also had a conversation, really good conversation, really good panel about how to get more women into conservation and top tips for sustainability managers. Jules, you kicked off with a summary of sustainable travel trends, didn't you? Indeed, I I was looking to the future with Weaver. As a travel writer, a journalist, a sustainability consultant, I sometimes, I reveal trends which actually I want to manifest. So number one, 
dedicated sustainability officers. I'm really happy to see a lot of businesses taking this seriously and they're recruiting people in a, in a full-time role dedicated to measuring and implementing impact across all businesses. And as we always say, it's great to identify the people who love sustainability, who care about the climate. And of course, one volunteer is worth 10 conscripts. So find those those really keen beans and recruit them. And I love that there's also lots of shiny new sustainability related titles, you know, from CSOs, Chief Sustainability Officers, to, well, Suneva, that's a great luxury travel brand in uh, Thailand and the Maldives predominantly. They have a social and an environmental conscience position. And you've got Safari Collection in Kenya. They have a footprint director. Uh, Cotters, uh, they had a four C's manager. We'll have to explain what the four C's is, but of course it provides the foundation and the framework for Weaver's sustainability management. Outside the travel sector, we've got Patagonia. There's a director of philosophy in Anheuser-Busch. They have a director of Better World Communications and Dr. Bronner's, the toiletry brand, they have a cosmic engagement officer. It's great that all these businesses are, are sort of employing these people and getting these people into these positions. Do you think it dilutes the message when they have these kind of weird and wonderful titles? I think we need to shake things up. And I think, you know, in a corporate world, anything where you can make sustainability sound more like it's inspiring, it's positive and it's optimistic is helpful rather than it being, you know, a box ticking exercise or finger wagging. So I'm all for the creativity, all for that. Uh, and something else that I really champion as a trend, I hate to call it a trend, it's completely ridiculous, since they're the people who have occupied our planet since the very beginning. It's around indigenous peoples and the appreciation of their culture and the fact that even though they only make up 5% of all people, they are custodians of 80% of the world's biodiversity. And as we know, biodiversity is a key topic in, in the climate conversation. And it represents all that complexity of life on Earth. And I think of it like scaffolding. If you just take out one species, it's like losing a nail or a screw that is vital to the structure and everything in theory could kind of collapse. So how are they sort of saying that these indigenous people are trends. I mean, right. like you say, it feels a bit uncomfortable saying that Indigenous people are suddenly a trend or trendy. So what I mean is a lot of hotels and operators are really just focusing on hosting really authentic, meaningful Indigenous experiences that add, well, respect to the communities, maybe they're led by them and leave money in their pockets. So it's showcasing their value and actually, you know, giving money back. Another trend Regenivore revolution. Um, I so. love that regenivorism is taking it up a gear from climatarianism or climavores, which is when people are trying to eat in a way that's friendlier to the climate. So less imported foods, more plant-friendly, heavy menus. And that would be a shout out to all the people, anyone who works in the travel industry or who is a host, chuck on more plant-friendly dishes on your menus, not just because it's fashionable and cool and because vegetarianism is up 500%, but because it's helpful to the environment. So basically, if you're at home in the UK and you're having strawberries and cream in January, you need to have a word with yourself because they're not going to come locally. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. That means that those strawberries are likely to have been imported. And that cream, I'm afraid, comes from dairy cows. Um, our audience, as you say, you know, we know here in Cape Town, they were 
uh, it's it's the travel industry and something else they really enjoyed was us talking about the importance of behind the scenes tours and how hotels are inviting people to have a look at how uh, how they operate pull back the curtain I always love the expression it's seeing how the sausage meat is made and uh, experiencing you know how genuinely sustainable they are so I really really encourage all hotels to invite visitors to go BTS behind the scenes and BOH see the back of house and we're going to be um, hearing a little bit more about the Took South boys that's what they're all about on TikTok. Thinking about that actually it's it seems funny that it's taken so long for it to become a trend because if you think of places like the Granada Studios tour where you can go and get your photo taken outside the Rovers Return pub and of course there used to be the BBC tour people love going and seeing as you say how the sausage gets made oh yeah I love that so Granada tours you mean the TV studio yes and, and of course Rovers Return the pub in Coronation Street that's right yeah something everyone's familiar with but then they get to sort of exactly that see how the magic happens. Well, and of course Universal Studios do it in America, don't they? Totally, so it's it's all about, and this is the key word, transparency. When we spoke to Melanie from Weaver, I really loved that she said, even when we were talking about redefining luxury, it was all about transparency. Warm welcome for Melanie, please. Hi everybody, my name is Melanie van der Merwe. I am a South African based in the US. Work, I've been working in the luxury travel industry for over 16 years, um, representing products like or brands like Element House, uh, Liu Collection, Natural Selection. Uh, I've worked with Inspirato and uh, currently I'm the trade ambassador for Weaver and uh, also work on two luxury travel summits in Italy and in France. And I'm very passionate about wellness, community building and uh, regenerative tourism. So that's why I'm here today. First question, what is the definition of luxury in the sustainability age? Well, I mean, it keeps changing, doesn't it? So, I mean, I'm preaching to the converted here. I mean, change, we all know, is the only constant in life. And, um, and I think under pressure, it's even, it's even more accelerated. And with my experience over the last, you know, pre-COVID and there's obviously post-COVID, it's been, it's been so apparent that the consistent feedback has been pre-COVID has moved from, you know, ticking off the boxes to, you know, keeping up with the Joneses to the why. The why am I doing this? Why am I going here? Why am I selecting this partner? Why am I selecting this trip? And so I think meaning has become the new luxury. And then components of that include things like transparency, transformation. I mean, the wellness industry is being transformed. It's no longer about um, doing a spa treatment. It's, you know, it's about personal transformation. Give us tools to become the best versions of ourselves. And you want that type of experience when you are traveling. You want to travel deeper. You want to travel deeper within yourselves through, through a community, through an experience. So I would say, I mean, all those components are now shifting the idea of what luxury is. Do you think you can shame the luxury traveler into being more sustainable? As Jules will know, and I don't know whether you have it out here, we have restaurants now that actually have the calories next to certain <laughs> meals. So you go there and you think, oh, I might have that, or that's a bit of a treat or I'm not going to have that, it will go straight to my hips. So do you think they can do that with sustainable travel, like look at it and say this has got a smaller footprint or a bigger footprint, or do you think that's the wrong way to go? I don't know. 
know. I don't think so. I think that would make people anxious. <laughs> I think we need more people for sustainability than against it. I right. mean, luxury is all about being comfortable. It's all about being taken care of. So luxury pro uh, providers, accommodation providers, agents, they need to take care of the sustainability stuff for you as a client. And so, you know, build that into whatever you're offering. And what I loved about my time at Natural Selection, for example, is one of the clients I work with, is that the ethos was sustainability is a given. It's supposed to just be. It's second nature in terms of how you operate your business and also how you market it. We don't even have to call it sustainability. Like I said, it just should be a natural. You know, from, also from my experience in the industry, I feel like the biggest opportunity is we need to empower the back of the line, the front of the line, all of the advisors within the ecosystem with enough information to be able to sales speak or talk about the sustainability aspects of a sale that they're making. Why, are you, why am I sending you here? It's because of this and this and this. It aligns with your values because you told me about what's most important to you. So I feel like there's a big opportunity there and just normalizing sustainability in the conversation around telling people where to go. So next up, after speaking to Melanie, we spoke to Julie Cheatham, who is founder of Weaver. She's the managing director, and she knows all too well the importance of the phrase, you can't manage what you don't measure. That was key to our conversation around greenwash. Of course, we've talked about the definition of greenwash before. That is, you know, shouting about all the good stuff you do to conceal or maybe distract from some of the things that you don't do that could be better. Should we have a little listen to Julie? Now, Julie, you know the phrase all too well that I love. You cannot manage what you don't measure. Tell us more. So I love this because I have um, some industrial engineering background. And our industry is really lagging behind others. If you think of any line that's manufacturing something, be it a bottle of beer or a car. Every single morning, all of the people working on that line get together, they look at their stats from the day before. How fast was our work rate? How much did we fill? How much did we waste? What broke on the machine? What do we need to change? And our industry doesn't do that. And we've got so much rich data at our fingertips. We've got data about our guests and their preferences, where they come from, what they spend their money on, our team, what makes them feel valued, what motivates them, our water usage, our different kinds of waste, what items are doing well in our menu, what aren't. Such rich information, and we tend to not use it in the travel industry. And if we want to improve something in our business, if we want to attract a certain kind of guest, or if we want to reduce our carbon footprint, how can we do that if we don't know what it is to begin with? So how can I use less energy if I don't know how much energy I use? How can I plan for that? How can I try to attract a millennial guest when I don't have the stats about who my guests are and what surprised and delighted them at their last stay and what did they hate? So data really is power because it helps us be more commercially successful. In sustainability, things can be really dry. There's a big disconnect between the science and the storytelling. And I just love how you bring everything to life for me. And you also, you shared a quote with me once from Brené Brown. Stories are just data with soul. I really, really love that. That's nice. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I've got some better. shocking data for you too, though. Oh, you're bringing the shocking data. <laughs> okay. 
Julia it's told like me to person. prepare stats. People love stats. She does not tolerate unprepared panels. <laughs> so, a third of all the food that's intended for human consumption every year is wasted. One third of food intended for human consumption is wasted. And that's 1.3 billion tons of food. 40% of that is in retail, and we're part of that, right? And so how can we curb that if we don't unpack the food waste at our own hotels? If we don't do food waste audits with our FNB teams and with our chefs and know what's actually being utilized and what's excess? Um, every hour, a forest the size of 300 football fields is cut down. And so where will we immerse our guests in nature if, if that continues to happen? You know, our, our global GDP contribution as a travel sector is 10%, but so is our emissions contribution. And so how do we continue to be relevant and make sure that we don't become that industry that everybody boycotts uh, because we're leading to, you know, more negative outcomes than positive? How can we spot the difference between marketing ploys and genuine action? So I'll tell you a story of when I was in Dubai week before last. So uh, Jed Brown from Low Season Traveller and myself, we stayed at two separate hotels. Both our hotels had been marked as sustainable travel properties on booking.com. And yet we found tons of single-use plastic amenities, imported goods on the breakfast menu, plastic water bottles, aircon and lights on in every single room. And so for me, one of the things you can do is check with your operational teams, marketers and salespeople, and make sure that the stories you're telling are actually happening on the ground. And make sure that you're not setting your hotel up to be exposed. Rather celebrate the few things that you are doing really well, and then agitate to work to get rid of the rest of, you know, the poor practices, because it's, it's, you're going to come a cropper. Julia was great, and I loved uh, you making her stay on to do that greenwash clinic where the audience, it was a bit like a confessional for the audience, where they were able to say, I've wondered this, is this greenwashing, or I've done that, is that greenwashing? Yeah, I dragged Josh in, do you remember, from And Beyond to talk about tree planting? Uh, because obviously that's a little bit of a red flag sometimes if someone just says they're tree planting, and he clarified around how it has to be, specifically, you know, what species of tree, where are they planting? How is it actually doing good? And the bees. Yeah, the idea of we're serving honey in, a, in our hotel, is that, is that being kind to the bees? I thought that was a great question from Gabby from Mount Nelson Hotel. That was so good, wasn't it? Yeah. And I, you know, as always, we try and remind everyone that bees, bees are a keystone species and you have to really look after them properly for it to be helpful. Another session I really enjoyed was Tell Don't Sell, because of course, as a journalist, I'm someone who really, really is keen to help people understand the difference between editorial and promotional content. I also work as a communications consultant, but if someone's paying me money to write about them, it's quite different to when I'm writing for a newspaper or a magazine to share information. My loyalty is to the reader, but of course, you know, with all my stories, my loyalty is to the climate emergency. In this session, we really touched on that thing that news is something that people don't want you to print. Anything else is either public relations or advertising. So this really kind of tried to bury down into what makes a great story. Yeah, and I loved having Jane brought in there. Lots of people will know her. She's based in Cape Town. She's been writing about travel for a very long time. And I think she really thought about well, people get really bogged down by what they should be doing, when in reality, everyone should just be doing more when it comes to sustainability. And she, she works very hard to, well, share stories that matter. Hi, I'm Jane Broughton. I'm South African. 
I've been writing about travel in Africa for 20 years, which kind of dates me. Um, been fortunate to be at every single We Are Africa since it began. My reason for being here would be to find out about new properties, see what people are doing differently, and hopefully see that people are doing more when it comes to sustainable travel. Jane, you tell, how can we tell better stories? I think um, a good story is, has got authority. It's um, trustworthy, first, first and foremost. Um, I think it's got to be obviously credible and it has to be original. And I think in the world we're living in where AI is becoming more and more of a reality and it's not something we should be afraid of, be used as a research tool, something that's told in the first person that's researched in the first person has a lot more power and credibility and authority than, you know, something that you're just reading online. There's so much content online. What is true? What is recycled? What is greenwashed? So I would say that the other thing that is really important is for something to be all of those things, there needs to be a context. Um, and I think that's where the role of somebody who has a yardstick and who understands the subject and has written about it um, maybe has an advantage because um, they are going to do their research, they're going to find proper sources, they are going to get to the bottom of the subject and not just take something on face value. Hello, my name is Harriet Owala from Kenya. Um, I'm a freelance writer with Skift. I write mostly on travel, tourism, both for the local media and the international media. I agree with Jane when it comes to research. And I can also add um, stories that are relatable, you know, stories that are authentic. You know, the locals need to be more in the stories, more as the storytellers and also as the source of the story. Because when they're the ones who are sharing the story, they're the ones who have experienced what is happening, they're the ones who know how to say what they need to say, they're the ones who know what they want to communicate. And if they can be empowered to actually communicate what they need to, then I think we're going to have even more stories, like more impactful stories from them. And also these stories are going to bring the change that you want to see. Uh, hi, my name is Nor Sarawiwa. I'm British Nigerian. And I'm an author. Um, my first book was called Looking for Trans Wonderland, and it's about my travels around Nigeria. And my regular day job is features writer at uh, Condé Nast Traveler magazine. Yeah, I think, you know, building on what Harriet said, it, it's about storytelling. And I find that whatever the subject matter in life, people want to hear a mix of you know, it comes to like learning about the environment, learning about someone's personal story. Like, for example, I went to Rwanda last November and I visited the Geshwati National Park. Uh, I think it's called the Forest of Hope as well. And when you talk to the people who run this national park and you hear their personal story, it really makes you root for them. You know, when you learn that this park was completely, was almost completely decimated during the genocide, it lost 98% of its acreage. But then you had three individuals who decided, we're going to save this park. And they sold their cars and they begged the government 
to give them money. And the government said no initially, uh, but then eventually it relented and, you know, it decided to officially make this park a national park. And then, you know, these three people got money and then they turned a, a, a research station into a, a hotel, a guest house, which people can now come to. And so when you hear that, that personal story, it really engages you a lot more rather than just coming at it as a tourist and thinking, oh, well, this is just a nice national park and it has some, you know, chimp chimpanzees in it. You know, when you hear their personal story, it changes everything. And I think tourism now, it's, it's about foregrounding the locals. You know, we want to be educated now. People are becoming more engaged with nature. Even I, I live in central London and I'm not remotely interested in agriculture or I never used to be, even though my grandparents were, were farmers. But, you know, I'm becoming much more interested now. People are starting to grow tomatoes and lettuce in their own gardens and tapping into that local knowledge, talking to local women, I think should be integrated into tourism so that people can really engage and learn something. And I think that's the, that's the future of tourism. So, Jane, how can we engage those who aren't naturally inclined to care about nature or community? How do we engage them? I think anybody who's, who's reading something is consciously or subconsciously thinking, why should I care, before they've even started reading. And so, even if you're talking about a really big concept, you need to find something, like you were saying, personal, something that resonates for somebody, whatever it may be. And it's in telling those personal stories that you can get the, the bigger points across. Um, what do you think is the future of, and I hate the C word, of content, but what do you think is the future of journalists? Do you think there's still always going to be a market for great stories and great journalism? When I think of a lot of the, the really good websites out there doing investigative journalism, a lot of them are quite small outfits that get funding, you know, from different sources. And it would be nice if the billionaires that we have today could turn some of their attention and their, you know, philanthropy towards that. You know, they're very good at buying the Washington Post and these, you know, legacy types of media. Okay. But we sort of need more money to go into journalism. I'm afraid I think that's the, the, the model now. They have to be considered as valuable as charities that provide a valuable service. Well, quite encouraging in this country. We have quite a few independent news services which are funded by philanthropists and big business. Um, so you could sort of wonder where their loyalties lie. But one is the Daily Maverick. Um, and I think a lot of people here who are local probably hopefully do subscribe to it. And they do incredible um, independent investigative journalism without which we would be very much in the dark about what's going on in our country. But they cover all sorts of topics, you know, travel, economics, philanthropy, sustainability. And then there's another one called The Conversation. I don't know who's familiar with that. But it's also brilliant, and it's, it's completely Africa-centric. So it's all news about Africa. Um, so there are some bright spots there, and we have to just keep supporting them. And if you think about it, back in the day when there was nothing digital, you did part with money to buy news. So why do we have a problem with it now? I think what, you, what the two of them are saying is true. 
And I think we, sh we need to encourage more philanthropists who are passionate about sustainability to actually support, you know, publications that are dedicated to us that, even to advertise, like, some of their products, um, so that they can really, like, we can sustain them. Because most of the times, um, people think that stories, when, when it's advertisement, people think that stories are free. But let's, let's at least, let's advertise. If it's if it's a product, you know, let's advertise to keep them uh, sustain to keep the the publications there. And when it comes to supporting them, supporting a cause, let's encourage more and more people to do that, and also to support local travel journalists to come up and local photographers. If there are organisations that are, can actually support the rising up of such to tell their stories, that would be also awesome. Absolutely. So just remember, when us journalists go on press trips and we spend three days writing reams of notes, maybe if we're lucky for £200 for an article, and we have to sit next to the influencer who got paid 2.5k to sit there and take a picture of their breakfast, it's pretty tough. Do you want loads more pictures of people with influencers having breakfast, or do you want some serious stuff? Let it go, Juliet. Let it go. <laughs> That really was a brilliant session and such a coup to get Noor Sarah Weaver there, you know, from such an amazing campaigning activist family. Um, and lovely to have Harriet there as well, because she's a new voice in this, isn't she? Absolutely. And that's what we really have to do is we have to champion uh, new voices, have different voices. You don't need the, just the dinosaurs like me. I love how she said, you know, we need to train local people. Journalists and photographers from all over the world need to get into local communities and help those who haven't got the experience tell better stories. Thank you for joining us while we recap from some of the fascinating conversations we had at We Are Africa in Cape Town. This, of course, was a trade show for the travel industry. If you want to tune in to our full six-part series about the causes, symptoms, and solutions in the climate conversation please do listen to our first six episodes of funny old world we hope that in the meantime you've enjoyed this bonus episode and we hope to be back with more podcasts soon and we really hope you'll join us for part two of this special edition of the podcast where we'll have more highlights from we are africa including our conversations with suzanne bailey moabiza majoli louise cotter ruth and clayton from the and sustainability officer Prince Ngamani. <laughs>